0: Welcome to UWO Now. UWO Now is the place where we talk to the students, staff, faculty, and alumni at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh about interesting and relevant topics. I'm your host, Wendell Ray. You know, there's an age-old warning against talking about politics and religion at the dinner table and in public, really anywhere, because most of us seem to have distinct, or many of us at least, seem to have distinct and hardened views on how our school boards Local governments, state, and federal elected officials should conduct public affairs. But do these impassioned viewpoints lead to higher levels of political activity or higher turnouts during elections? Dr. Michael Ford, Associate Professor of Public Administration and Director of the Whitburn Center for Governance and Public Policy at the University of Wisconsin-Oshkosh is our guest today. Thanks so much for coming by and tackling some of these issues contentious issues with us today, Dr. Ford. Yes, thank you, happy to be here. So tell us about, first of all, what is the Whitburn Center for Governance and Public Research Policy Research? Yeah, yeah. so the Whitburn Center was founded about a year and a half ago. Uh,
1: It's 100% externally funded. And our goal is to really demonstrate that we can still govern here in the state of Wisconsin and in the United States. So we conduct all kinds of research related to uh, local government, related to EMS response, um, basically anything, uh, any place where we think we can make a, a positive difference in
0: demonstrating that despite our political differences, we can still govern here. Okay, so was there some question about that at first? I mean, uh, so tell <laughs> yeah. us why you decided to move forward with this type of, uh, in this direction. Yeah, so so I, as you mentioned, I'm also the uh,
1: the chair of the MPA program here, and our Master's of Public Admin program has about 700 graduates Uh, sprinkled throughout wisconsin throughout the country working in local government and and one of the things that um, i had learned from teaching them and talking to them is that they really didn't have a lot of resources um, to help them, them govern really do the nuts and bolts of what a local government official is actually in charge of and they also mentioned how disillusioned they are becoming with some of the partisanship and some of the conflict in their communities so we really wanted to provide some resources for them Um, so that they can actually get things done on behalf of their uh, half of their residents. And it really stems from this belief that the best way to increase trust and faith in government is
0: competence. So trying to give them the resources they need to show that we can still get stuff done. Okay, so is it my imagination, or everyone's imagination, that things seem to be a lot more contentious at every level now of government, from school boards, the presidential elections?
1: Oh yeah, I mean,
0: it's like nothing I've ever,
1: it's far worse than I could have anticipated. And it's, what concerns me most as someone who does a lot of work with local government is that we're starting to see the nationalization um, of some of our social issues even bleeding in to the nuts and bolts of government. I mean, I I think back to a a debate I watched um, on a school boards, and this was a couple years ago, um, and they were talking about critical race theory. And you had one of the candidates for office saying that if I'm elected, I'm going to stop critical race theory. You had another candidate say, well, we don't teach that here in the district. And you had the superintendent confirm, we don't do that here. Other candidate doubles down. But yeah, if I'm elected, I'm getting rid of it. And I'm hearing this and I'm thinking, well, this is all politics then. This is not a, a board that's going to be able to get anything tangible done on behalf of the people they actually represent or their stakeholders, students and parents, because they're fighting political battles that are totally irrelevant to what they actually need to be
0: doing. Now, is that something that is new? I mean, haven't hasn't there always been this sort of debate, yeah. uh, even at the school board level? What's different now that you're seeing?
1: Yeah, I think what is new is, well, two things. One is the explicit um, political party activity. We've had, um, it happens on both sides, Republicans and Democrats, explicitly endorsing candidates, funding candidates, doing trainings and bringing more uh, state and national policy issues to these local bodies. And that's something that's new. People have always had opinions, people have, have always had ideological preferences, but the actual um, you know, resolutions and things that have nothing to do with what a local government um, is actually in charge of is starting to bleed into.
0: Locals. E- e- you, and we're talking about even at the uh, city council level and the school oh, yeah. board level. Now, so, which is news t- to me. Mm -hmm. I'm from Indianapolis, which uh, elects their uh, local government officials, and they are determined by uh, political affiliation. You see what they are when you go vote for them. Mm -hmm. They're Republican, Democrat, independent. Move to Chicago, which is clearly one of the, its politics are known for, its partisanship. Um, Mm -hmm. But that is not the norm in terms of local governments and how school boards and city councils work? Correct. That is definitely the exception. It tends to be a handful of very
1: large municipalities that have had that explicit party identification on the ballot. Um, but yeah, it's starting to bleed into into more local places. Florida and Tennessee have both had uh, statutory actions recently that have have enabled uh, partisan affiliation in, in local government elections. Um, but yeah, that is certainly something new. And, and I think it's worth talking a bit about the background of why we have nonpartisan elections. Because I say it's new, but maybe that's not exactly true. Um, End of the 18th century, end of the 19th century, excuse me, into the 20th century, you had uh, machine politics. You had cities run uh, by these political bosses. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was not just your major cities. We all know about about Chicago. That was kind of the last bastion of that. Um, We know about about New York. But this was happening in mid-sized cities, too. And back then, you did have explicit party affiliation and you had a situation where your governing boards and your local local municipalities were captured by political parties and they were run for the benefit of enriching members of the political party as opposed to serving yeah serving serving your residents serving your stakeholders so there were all these progressive reforms um in that era that introduced nonpartisan elections
0: and we're talking about uh, around what year did these reforms start to come oh yeah we're, we're
1: talking early 20th century
0: uh nineteen, okay. nineteen 1910s 1920s so before that it had been like we're seeing now contentious and politically driven types of elections that correct the, you run the dog catcher we want to know what party you're you're, you're part of
1: correct and it, and it really it really some of those reforms really spurred uh the, our, my field public administration um as it exists today this idea that we can separate the administration of government what you actually do from the politics of governing which is how you decide so we have a cliche that politics decides and governing does. And my fear is that if we get rid of the governing side, we're all politics. We have all these people that are deciding things and no one's actually doing anything.
0: Okay. Good, 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 good segue into what I want to ask you next. So is yeah. there any sort of research, any sort of determination that uh, nonpartisan boards and local governments get more done or more responsive to the needs of their uh citizenry than the other way yeah that's a leading
1: question you teed me up that's good <laughs> uh yeah I've, I've done a lot of work on this and it really comes down to um, structural conflict on a governing board um and we, we were talking a little bit before but you and i are serving together on a local governing board um we might disagree on specific issues but we're not walking in with that structural difference where, hey, I'm going to do everything through the lens of the Democratic Party. You're going to do all things through the lens of the Republican Party. We're going to have coalitions that we can't deviate from because we've got to have, you know, maintain party discipline. We're going to create structural conflict. So structural conflict can come from a lot of different things, Mm -hmm. but partisanship is one that's really obvious. I have shown on school boards and on city councils uh, nationally that when you can minimize that negative structural conflict type, you're able to give clear direction to the folks actually running the daily operations government, and you actually have higher performance. So it's not about a distaste for politics. It's How, do you about, measure that?
0: How do you measure that yeah. uh,
1: performance? Well, one of the reasons I love uh, doing school board research is that we do have uh, student outcomes. We have hard data uh, related to test scores. We have financial performance data. So I can actually link um, some of the group dynamics that we can determine through observation and through surveys on governing boards. So by group dynamics, I mean things like conflict types. You can identify that and then you can uh, model that against actual school district performance and, indicators. And you've seen a difference. Absolutely. Yep. Um, did a national study, and this is going back to, I think it was 2015 it was published, so it's been a little while, um, but explicitly showed that there is a graduation rate advantage um, for school districts that are able to minimize uh, these structural conflict types.
0: Hmm. Okay. All right. You are listening to UWO Now. I'm Wendell Ray, and we're talking today with Dr. Michael Ford. He is an associate professor of public administration and the director of the Whitburn Center for Governance and Policy Research at the University of Wisconsin-Oshkosh, talking in general about uh, how uh, things get done or why things don't get done. And apparently there is a connection between partisanship And politics, when they are infused in local boards and local governments, not a lot gets done. And we've seen that at the national level.
1: Oh, yeah. It it leads to paralysis, policy paralysis, where nothing's getting done or sometimes even more harmful, a lot gets done. One of the more destructive findings I've seen is that when you have a highly partisan governing board, you can have a really productive governing board. Um, So they get a lot of things done, but they might not be the things you want to get done. And what's dangerous is you create this pendulum swing because then there's another election and maybe the other group takes control of the governing board. And they mm-hmm. try to undo everything the previous board did. I mean, it's the stuff we see at the state and national level. Um, but I would argue the consequences when that happens at the local level are, are, are more important because there's not a partisan, there's not a Republican pothole or a Democratic pothole, right? We got to get this stuff, this stuff done. Um, and if we're viewing everything through that partisanship lens, we're not going to do things that just have to happen—basic services—because the other party is in favor of it.
0: How are, you're seeing I, at least in the last—and you mentioned this on the last election cycles—we've seen on television where we've seen board, uh, uh, school boards, be very animated and threatening, and mm-hmm. violent threats are coming mm-hmm. through and. Mm-hmm what impact is that having on people who might want to run one on yep. the outcomes of what's going on in these particular school districts um how is this impacting what's happening now what's the influence now that are you able to yeah turn- yeah there's a couple
1: of things going on i do think that some of the, the the threats and just um rhetoric has scared people off people don't want to run uh, for local office, which I think is a dang shame because someone's going to run for local office. And I think when you have people that are, are there to do the people's business that are not interested in, in being mired down in some of these national debates that are really tertiary to what a local governing board does, um, if those folks step aside, it's going to make way for the uh, for the partisans to come in. I also worry a lot about the generational thing. And maybe this is the uh, the MPA professor in me, but we're going to have a generation of, of people that, that, Come to age thinking that this is what a local government is. It's a place where you go and you have a fight um, you know introduce a meaningless resolution about about abortion or legalization of marijuana things that I'm not saying they're not important, but they're things that a local government has no control over. Mm-hmm. but if you get if you get bogged down and that's all you do, um, you start just being a purely symbolic body and just another
0: battlefield for for partisan conflict. Have we seen an increase or decrease in voter turnout or are you, are you able to determine if there's been uh, any impact because of partisanship and the increase of partisan politics on voter turnout?
1: You know, I, I can't say for sure it's because of the partisanship. There has been increased turnout in local elections. There's been increased um, activity in local elections, which I think it is a good thing. Um, I did some, some work a couple of years ago where I found that 40% of all school board races are uncontested in the United States, mm. which that's problematic because for democracy to function, yeah, you but... have to have competition. And in the last year or two, it's, it's changed. We've had a lot more competition, a lot more participation. So I think that is a good thing, but that does come with the danger. You know, What exactly is the impact of, of this increased participation? What's driving it? And that's why it's so important for us to, to constantly educate the difference between politics and administration. It's important to keep educating about what the, the actual roles and responsibilities are of a local governing official to make sure that we don't miss this opportunity to, to get people that know what they're doing um, because that's ultimately gonna impact performance. And if you're walking in and you're there because you know what, I'm a Republican, I don't like Democrats, you're not going to be uh, very effective as a council member. because You're gonna be talking past your city manager, whomever it is that actually runs the municipality day to day.
0: So, are we talking about just civility? I mean, so uh, if in fact more people are participating, mm-hmm. uh, you have more candidates apparently, or different types of candidates. Maybe Correct. you're scaring off some people, but apparently others are not. It's, yeah, it's friend. more. Yeah, it's more. Um, is it just that the people are just not as civil toward one another? So if that that sounds like a good thing. So yeah. what is what can be bad about what that increased participation?
1: Yeah, I think it's it is about it is about civility, um, but it goes back to that previous point I made about about productivity. You want to have a productive governing board, but you don't want a governing board that's really productive at uh, basically tearing down the things that make a municipality function. And I think the way to the way to ensure that people know what they're doing is you have to do a better job at, at educating and, and onboarding folks. So one thing we did at the, uh, the Whitburn Center, and we've gotten some good national traction on this, is we created a governance toolkit um, that, that we've, we've used with uh, local governing boards, so school boards, city councils, village boards, to help them very quickly identify the types of conflict that exist on their board, have little cheat sheets about you know what type of authority they have and don't have, um, job descriptions, so that a governing board member understands that, hey, right, if I run for office and I, I'm elected, I don't actually have operational authority. I can't call department head and direct them, you know, fix this street, fix that street. That's not what, what I'm there for. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm providing oversight and, and direction and policy guidance. So, so our hope is that we can start incorporating these materials into governance training so that even if people run for office for all kinds of reasons, once they get there, they have a real clear understanding of what their role is and how to get things done.
0: You're listening to UWO Now. I'm Wendell Ray, your host, and we're talking today... Dr. Michael Ford, Associate Professor of Public Administration and Director of the Whitburn Center for Governance and Policy Research at the University of Wisconsin-Oshkosh, talking about local governance and where we are and how um, maybe partisan politics has kicked up in local races Mm -hmm. down to the school boards. Uh, The Whitburn Center does a lot of research. Tell us, in general, some of the things that you focus on uh, in terms of the research that you're doing over at Woodburn, Doctor. Yeah, our, our broad mission is to to build a foundation for strong
1: local government in Wisconsin. So every project we do uh, flows off of that. Um, right now, we're in the midst of a grant funded project related to uh, modernizing the local government workforce in Wisconsin. One of the things we've seen over the last twenty years is, um, well, over the last twenty years, we've seen a pretty stable, um, pretty stable numbers in local government in terms of turnover. Uh, but the last two years, and I think this might be related to COVID, we've seen an uptick in people that are leaving the, uh, the public sector altogether. And, and this is creating a problem because you have all that learned uh, institutional knowledge that, that is leading um, local government. So you have a, a government workforce that is uh, less experienced, younger, um, and perhaps not as, well, not as well trained. So we're in the field doing, doing research on that, doing interviews on that, I'm just trying to understand why they're leaving? or We're trying to understand why they're leaving, but also trying to understand what types of incentives um, local government officials are are creating for for um, attracting and retaining people. Okay. What are those barriers? And some of them are things we control, right? It's like wages. Some of them are location, right? That, that, hey, you know, we're a community of 1,000 people. We can't get good people here because their spouse wouldn't have a place to work. Mm-hmm. So it really runs the gamut. It's very, very related to context. Um, but I guess to expand on that a little bit more, we're also trying to understand the ongoing legacy of Wisconsin's Act 10. And if, if you're familiar with that, um, it more or less eliminated public sector collective bargaining, created a political firestorm, but it dramatically changed the relationship between um, local government management and their employees. And the promise of it was supposed to be, you know, the first step was, you know, purely fiscal. Part of that bill was people had to contribute more to their health insurance. Okay. Fine. We know that's going to have a positive fiscal impact on local government because you're passing costs on to your employees. But the second half of that was at least sold as a, a local government reform and a state government reform, where we can start doing more things like performance pay, um, you know, changing our, our government structures, things that used to be negotiated through a bargaining contract. Mm-hmm. And the hope was right more efficiency, et cetera. And we're really not seeing that. We're, we're still seeing. Um, some of that political hangover ten years later, where people still see Act Ten, they're like that was about crushing the unions, had nothing to do with anything else.
0: So the no I don't know if it was AFSCME here or in the American Federation of State, yeah. County, Municipal Police that
1: went away. That was one of them, um, yeah. Because basically, what it, what Act Ten did is, aside uh, from police and fire, there's limited what you can negotiate to base wages for the entire organization, and limited as inflation. So there's really nothing to negotiate anymore. So a lot of the unions have, have gone away. Um, we're also looking at uh, the presence of diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and where those are, are taking off and where they're not taking off. And, and part of the reason there is that we, we talk a lot about it in public administration on the academic side. and We hear a lot about it, uh, but we want to know, is this actually translating into, into local government operations? Are, are people operating with a DEI mindset? And to be honest, our preliminary results show they're not. Um, we had this question about you know do you have a coordinator for diversity equity inclusion, and thus far our samples one hundred percent no not small mm-hmm. sample then we ask a follow up do you have plans to hire one and it's one hundred percent no um, so and this is
0: all who are you surveying this is state
1: of Wisconsin so this is just in the in the state of Wisconsin but again but who, who in the state of Wisconsin yeah we're talking is getting... to we're talking to city managers uh, village. Uh, managers and just municipal executives so the folks that are actually running the day-to-day operations okay. of, of local governments in wisconsin okay mm. no, no no interest f- in that so far yeah it's From definitely it's it's outlying and it gets at that earlier point you made that so many of the things we talk about in government or the things that get attention in the media are really outliers it's one community or two community that's that's huge and it makes sense because it's very relevant right I, I can't argue with you that you're here in Wisconsin that Milwaukee and Madison don't don't matter a heck of a lot. They do. Um, and that's true for just about every state. But when we we give advice on on, on human resource practices or we create sample policies or we we teach our, our students how to staff a, a department, it doesn't really help if all the research is based on a handful of really massive communities. It just doesn't connect. So we gotta reach these people where they're actually at.
0: So, one of the other things we've been talking about is partisanship and aligning yourselves with uh, certain parties and those parties pushing uh, their agendas all the way down to the school board level. Mm-hmm. N- now, we talk about maintaining that power because, as you said, if you get in and then the next election somebody comes out uh, mm-hmm. with a different idea, you're really not, you're just kind of spinning your wheels in terms of policy and getting things done for uh, the citizens. Mm-hmm. So one of the tools is what we call gerrymandering. So let's talk a little bit about that. And what have you seen any gerrymandering has been around for a while. It's not oh, yeah. like it's new, but anything different that's going mm-hmm. on there? Yeah, it's extremely um and I guess me, we should mean, explain what gerrymandering yeah, is. Yeah, gerrymandering yeah,
1: is where you're drawing individual uh, districts to try to maximize uh, party advantage. Um, so, for example, like in Wisconsin in 2010, they redrew the maps and uh, created a situation where even though the state's pretty 50-50 in our last statewide election, I, I had the numbers in front of me, but right, Democrat Tony Evers wins 51% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Ron Johnson, Republican, wins 50% of the vote. You'd expect us to have a pretty split legislature based on that. In reality, about 65% of uh, state legislative seats are controlled by Republicans, meaning there's a disconnect between um, kind of statewide opinion and then what actually happens when you slice up districts. And the way they do that is you create districts where right, it's certain that a Republican's gonna win, districts where it's certain a Democrat's gonna win. And that eliminates electoral competition. And it's not just a Wisconsin thing. If you look statewide, I looked at these numbers this morning, um, most states, I think Nebraska, maybe New Hampshire are exceptions, have um, a bicameral legislature. So there's a, there's a Senate and there's some type of assembly. Um, it used to be even 10, 15 years ago, not uncommon for those to be split. Republicans mm-hmm. control one, Democrats control one. Today, there's two that have split control, Pennsylvania and Virginia. Everywhere else, there's one party in control. And that just doesn't track in a, in a nation that's as uh, politically diverse as
0: ours. Um, it and ge- typically speaking, the person, the, the, the party in control controls the maps. Is that right? Correct. Or- so correct. In some states, like Iowa,
1: has an independent commission that does it. Um, but generally, yes, that, that process is going to be dominated uh, by the party in control. And and where that really starts to bleed into local government is is I think you can draw a, a direct line from the inability for minority parties to get any of their policy priorities accomplished at the state level. Um, to them trying to get them done at the local level. We've seen this in Wisconsin, where, where um, like I said, both both political parties are getting involved at the local level, uh, but the Democrats were really doing it first, and it was really trying to push some of their policy priorities that because of gerrymandering, they have no chance uh, to get that done at the state level. And it right, differs by state depending on who's who's in control, but I think that's a very dangerous thing because we're having the, the local debate really... The premise of the local governing debate is now based on dysfunction at the state level. That's what's driving it, and that's not healthy.
0: So what then can be done about this gerrymandering? If if I'm in control yeah. and the whole idea is for me to stay in control <laughs> so that my ideas get passed and laws are that I like become uh, – the legislation becomes law then how does this cycle how do we break it how is it ever going to be broken if the people in control are always going to be in control of who gets to be in control right it can be uh, it can be depressing the way you phrase that is depressing because I, I, I think you're right I mean yeah. I think you're
1: accurate I don't I don't know there's like I said the state of Iowa does an independent commission but then there's debate how independent is that mm-hmm. And like you said, I don't think any political party is lined up to, to voluntarily give up uh, their ability to to gerrymander in their own their own favor. But this really ties into my passion for local government and the the mission of the Whitmer Center. I think we have to demonstrate the power of nonpartisan governing. We have to demonstrate at the local level that we can still get things done even if there's a lot of conflict. We can we can start, you know, trying to understand what types of conflict are helpful. You know, If we're having a disagreement about a policy, that's great. We should have that conflict and we should be able to resolve it and move on from there um, as opposed to you know, partisan conflict. And my hope is that over time, if we can keep that partisanship out of the local level and, and show that we have an effective, efficient, and equitable local government that we can lead by example. It's not the perfect example because it's not quick or the mm-hmm. perfect solution because it's not quick. It takes time. Um, but I do think it's the one, at least the one that I, I have a tool for in my toolbox. So I'm dedicated to trying.
0: Let me ask you this. You mentioned at the top of our discussion that this is not the first time in U.S. history we've had these types of political um, uh, orchestrated elections and the power of partisanship was was evident and really how things worked. Why are we seeing a resurgence of that? Is there any research out there to Let's us know what what what's going on and why we're seeing the shift. Yeah, so there's so Christopher
1: Pollitt was his name. He's passed away, but he was uh, he's actually in Europe or was in Europe. But he writes about shocks to the system and how that changes kind of the administrative uh, reality of of you know, government, whether it's democracy or not. And I think that we've seen a few shocks recently. I think um, in Europe it, it was Brexit. Mm-hmm. Um, in the U.S., it was the, the original election, the first election of Donald Trump, um, or 2016. What about
0: the original election of, of, of Barack Obama? Barack Obama, Obama, I
1: think that was as well. Okay, That was as well. And you know what? That might speak to the pendulum swing. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I, there is good research on the political science side, and I don't claim to be a political scientist. I have a master's in it, so I should <laughs> yeah, 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 I know should, something. Yeah, I know a little bit about that. <laughs> Um, but right, some I mean you could argue, and people have argued quite effectively and demonstrated that there was a there was a reaction to, to eight years of Barack Obama yeah.
0: um,
1: that that led to the election of, of Donald Trump, and that certainly right that changed the, the national discourse, and it's almost like we had you know this 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 simmering fire absolutely for a while, and then you know you had this almost gasoline thrown on it, but it was still kind of in the fire pit, and then COVID hit, and that just that just blew everything up, I think. It just demonstrated some of the, some of the fault lines we have in our, in our society. Um, I think we're still feeling the aftermath of that. And, and where I'm going with this is, right, you're right, these things are cyclical. We have, we have these major events and it's, it's possible that we'll have a different shock to the system um, that will be a course correction, but that can be really painful, right? Dramatic shifts generally don't do well with good government because good government is a process it takes time mm-hmm. most of our, our, our governing things government does there's not a one-year thing right these are long-term long-term things and I think that the, the the weeds are growing on our, our local governments and our state governments because we've we've entered this stage of of paralysis where because of all this fighting and all of this naked partisanship um, we're just spending too much time fighting with each other, not getting stuff done.
0: Well, what was the impetus for change when it changed at the beginning of the 20th century? What, right. W- what was, why did things change back to a less partisan yeah. uh, model? There, there's two schools of thought. One's really
1: interesting. I think they're both really interesting. Um, the first one is people embraced the boring. It was budgeting. All of our, our government budgeting reforms, and even the norms we do now, they started in that era because you started to have folks that were, were really, um, it was almost a moral crusade, but were against the um, some of the, the graft and things that was happening at the local level during the machine politics era. Um, so they saw that, okay, sunshine is the way we do something about this. So they passed some of these budgeting norms, things like you shouldn't just report your expenditures. You got to Shows your revenues too. Sunshine meaning exposing the process. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the open meetings, open record stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that was really what what changed the game there. Now there's another side of that that's also very fascinating. And it was Robert Merton, who was a sociologist, who wrote um, about the political machines, and it was tied to uh, explicit uh, racism and bigotry against um, immigrants, because the the number one beneficiary of of the political machine um the folks that were exploited as well to, to keep the political machines rolling in your big cities where immigrant communities new to the U S mm. um, who, who, you know, really saw that as a chance to gain a foothold. Um, and some folks saw the the reaction, some of the progressive reforms as almost a, a racist thing to say that, Hey, the immigrants are getting too powerful. We have to break up their regimes. Um, so, right. There's two ways of looking at how these reforms occurred one positive one negative. Um, but bottom line, I, I think it was just, just, People realizing that it was happening, and that was a direct result of of better budgeting laws and more transparency.
0: Talk about, uh, before we wrap things up, talk about uh, the toolkit that Woodburn Center has. Uh, Tell us about what's in that toolkit.
1: Yeah, so it's all evidence-supported, which I think is what makes it powerful that we're not just, you know, here's a list of 10 best practices, which is really common in the consulting world in government. Um, like, right, do these things because I just know they're good from experience. But no, we actually have, have evidence supporting this. Um, we have a, a conflict and um, regenerative relationship diagnostic uh, survey. It's actually a lot easier to use than it sounds. But there's basically these one-page self-assessments. That you can have every member of your governing board do, and then a really two-, three-step process of how you can identify what's actually happening in the governing dynamic and what to do about what you see in the results. So we also have uh, solutions and how you, can, how you can reduce some of the problems with negative conflict, et cetera. We have a, a job description for a governing board member um, so they know exactly what their authority is, what their authority is not. Okay. We have a cheat sheet for Robert's Rules of Orders so that folks can know how to actually get things done when they're in a governing group, because that can be intimidating for a new board member. Mm-hmm. It can also make things go off the rails when people don't know what they're doing. We have a series of um, alignment statements where we provide um, universal definitions for things like accountability, strategic planning, equity, effectiveness, and, and the idea here is that we can have each governing council adopt as a group um, these alignment statements to say that you know we're all in agreement about what this means. So we're not talking you know me and you about yeah I'm in favor of accountability, so are you, but we don't mean the same thing. We talk about accountability. We can actually right. define it. This okay. is this is what we mean, and then we can communicate that to our city manager. We can communicate that to our residents. We also have a fact sheet there on uh, different government forms so that folks understand you know, where their role is
0: in terms of operations versus administration. And is this toolkit applicable to any local government I mean, or is it just in the state of Wisconsin? Are there others out there? Other municipalities, other local governments, and school boards that might benefit from this toolkit. Oh as yeah, well. no,
1: it, it is applicable. Um, we've had uh, we meetings with New York uh, State and their school boards association, who has adopted, started using it as part of their training materials. Um, it started to be used in Florida as part of their training materials, and also, uh, state Minnesota has a conflict
0: conflict resolution center that started using this. I would imagine that a local government, a local entity, organization—not organization, but governing body—would need to feel that they need this you know what i mean i mean they have to want to accept the fact that okay we need to implement some things here and which the opposite of that is we don't need that we're good where we are even though they may not be correct and to try to address that well
1: one we have a strategic advantage in that like i mentioned we have 700 alumni so that's kind of where we started with the distribution, that we're going to give this to people that, that know us, trust us, that want to use this. But we also purposely designed it to be very non-threatening. It can be really threatening if you say that, okay, we're dysfunctional, we're going to bring in an outside consultant, we're going to have to pay them $30,000, we're going to have to force people to come give up give up their day. We tried to make this stuff really focused on the low-hanging fruit, things that are very easy, things that can be done um, locally so it doesn't cost any money and this is all this is all free, things that can happen quickly. Um, so the, the, the idea here is that, yeah, we know we can't solve all governing challenges that occur in a small group dynamic, but we can identify the four or five things that we see are the most common ways that the governing process goes off the rails and we can address that on the front end, right, when we bring in a new governing board member, right, when you have your reorganization meeting. So make it easy, make mm-hmm. it not threatening.
0: So uh, to wrap things up, you and all the research that you've been doing for, for decades about local governance and how governing bodies operate what's your sense of where we are as a nation not just as a state of Wisconsin but as a nation in terms of uh our local governing bodies how do you feel about it are we in, in, are you encouraged discouraged or concerned at all mixed feelings that's a little point and i
1: think that's just objective um you know, we keep talking about, about partisanship, but yet we are seeing a level of interest group activity. And by interest groups, I'm talking about the political parties that we have not seen before. I mean, there is explicit effort to, to try to get partisanship into our local governing uh, bodies. And, and that's happening, and that's getting, getting worse. And it's being reflected in state legislation being proposed in places like Florida and Tennessee. Um, and and that's, that's an existential threat, I think, uh, to, to local government. Um, I think we have a local government workforce that is utterly exhausted after COVID. Um, And I say this, folks I know from, you know, worked with students that graduate from our program. It's not a Wisconsin thing. It's a national thing Mm -hmm. where the amount of abuse they took um, just trying to do the right thing during COVID-19 is just exhausting. And I think that's really hurt, really hurt people. I think we've also seen fiscal stress and almost atrophy um, in terms of how we fund our local governments, there's been, and again, it's not just Wisconsin. We, we've had a lot of places that have almost frozen um, funding time since 2004 and has, has created this, this cycle of starvation. Because of the, correct. the correct. stalemate. Yeah, either a stalemate or the pendulum swinging back and forth. Right, Having a, a, a strong and effective local government takes long-term planning. It takes some stability uh takes the ability to to forecast, you know, I can have an expectation of what my funding's going to be over the next 10 years, and I can plan accordingly.
0: It's There There has always been a this view and a that view mm-hmm. amongst school board members, city council members, uh, state legislators, uh, members of Congress. Always been, this is how I feel about it, this is how you feel about it. I think from my vantage point is that there's just no more room for compromise, it doesn't seem. It's my way or no way. Yeah, And that seems like well, why we, we have stalemates, not no. just because there's a 50-50 split, but it's because oh, yeah. I don't care what you want to do. I'm not voting for what, oh. you, what you care about.
1: Oh, correct. When you, start, when you start divorcing the decision-making from either the, the, the policy context or the facts, um, you set yourself up for that. We're no longer making decisions based on, on anything aside from tribe. That's not okay. That's I say it's not okay. I, I get in danger of this. People say, oh, you just find, you know, incivility, distasteful. It's not about that. It's about performance. Mm-hmm. It's ultimately about the ability for that level of government, the one that people actually interact with on a daily basis, the one that, that actually determines people's level of trust in this thing we call democracy, right? It's that level that, that is, is atrophying. And that's an existential threat, I think. Now, I'm being negative here. On the positive side, I have the pleasure of working every day with with our 75 MPA students, our graduates, and local government professionals that are as dedicated uh, to public service as anybody I know and as competent as anybody I know. So even though we might be in a low point, I think that we have all the tools there uh, to really show that uh, that we can still govern here. Um, we have the people. Um, I think we've just, we just got to get it done. Uh, and I'm hoping the Whitburn Center can provide some of those tools that a lot of people get done.
0: Do uh, I keep coming up with another question? You yeah, I mean, but yeah. Do you care about it? The graduates of your program care about it. Maybe some elected officials care about it. But do our citizens? Where where is the citizen awareness? Yeah, where 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 are we with that? Because, because ultimately, ultimately, that's what's going to shake up things. Correct. I think that
1: um, we need to do better, and we always talk about this in in government, that we don't do a good job of telling our story. And while that's true, um, there are explicit things that, that local government folks can be doing um, to try to increase trust. But that takes planning and that takes a, a deliberate effort. It's not as much as just kind of shrugging your shoulders and say, you know, we have more important things to do. I think you have to start to have, um, whether it's an individual um, working in government, but, but someone there that's really focused on that trust issue. How do we ensure... That we are being proactively transparent meeting our residents where they are at because all of those things are our reinforcing activities that tell the story of local government but also make people understand and trust it
0: okay well thanks so much uh dr ford for coming by and talking to us today i'm sure you'll be back on UWO. now there's so much to talk about when we're talking about politics we're talking about governing boards whether it's the school board we'll through the presidential elections We're going to have you back, I'm sure, to talk about so many more things. So thanks so much for coming by and talking to us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Okay. Remember to catch the latest episode of UWO Now on our website, wrst.org, and podcasting platforms like Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Google, and, of course, you can watch us on the UWO YouTube page. That's all the time we've got on this episode of UWO Now. I'm Wendell Ray. Thanks so much for listening.